Welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. I'm Ross Blotcher, and uh, we have more stories to tell from the Conscious Life Expo. This is starting to feel like a lifetime ago. It's also just crazy to realize how much we experienced in, you know, three days. Yes. Totally. Uh, and and even then, we didn't catch all of it. No. I'm going back through some of my notes, and we missed someone, and... At first, I came upon her name and was like, oh, I must have just thought this wasn't important enough to talk about. And then I'm looking through my notes and it's like, oh, she talks directly to God. Oh, I'm like, oh, okay. No big deal. That's where my brain's at now. It files that away as too ordinary. Okay. Yeah, she talks to God. All right. All right. I'm busy. What's next? (laughs) Tell me about your crystal. Next. (laughs) But I will go back and talk about her. She's fascinating when uh, your brain doesn't smash her into uh, the rest of the (laughs) story. Good, good. Well, I've been also following up on the talks, and there's always so much more to look into because each speaker will bring claims to bear and they've written books and sometimes they own their own TV channels. Mm -hmm. So there's just always so much material. And I was saying that to you about this new person I'm going to tell you about today, Mm. how big I realized this topic was. So I I think we're going to have to break this into a couple chunks. There's going to be two episodes. Uh, Also, you gave me the opportunity to do my favorite thing in the week between this week and next week. So we're, we're talking about Billy Carson here. Yes, the second. The second? He is the son of another Billy Carson? He is. Oh, see, I'm learning new things already from Carrie. I saw that he claimed he had certificates from both MIT and Harvard. And I was starting to look this up and see, like, well, what are these? What is the certificate? And mm-hmm. I thought, wait a second. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I know someone who will be so excited <laughs> to do this for me. Hand this over to Carrie. But I, I, like, just sent it to her today. So thank you, Carrie. No uh, problem. We'll check in on it in the intervening week. But what a gift. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have a lot more for next week about Billy Carson and the things he's talking about. But, yeah, this was one of the later talks in the conference on Sunday. And it was right before we went to Bashar. So I think the last time we were talking to you, we were telling you all about Bashar. And I had just had my mind blown by Billy Carson. And so Bashar may be floating in a bizarre geostationary orbit 7,000 miles above the planet, which Uh really doesn't make sense when you think about that, how fast you would have to move a ship to remain. To stay above Sedona. (laughs) Yes, 7,000 miles away. Chasing Sedona. As the Earth spin. Why? (laughs) Why do that? I want to look down on the desert. I fucking love the desert. I was talking with a friend about that, and I was starting to picture what that orbit it would look like. I'm like, yeah, that's absurd. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I think about it, it's like, Bashar, if you love Sedona so much, come on down. It would be so much less effort to yeah. just like go straight through like all of those belts and shit and hit Earth yeah. to just keep chasing us for the rest of your damn life. Yeah, as far as geostationary goes, that's not a very geostationary yeah. place to plant yourself. So my brain was still trying to process what I had just seen and I'm about to tell you about, which is all of this interesting information about the formation of our solar system. Oh, good. From, again, Billy Carson. He formed it! No, no, I see how you would see that. But that was a trick of language. Oh. Billy Carson was the source of this information, <laughs> not the source of the formation of the uh, universe. Okay, okay. Fair point. I'm glad. Um, no, I'm going to lock that in, and that's going to be my belief. I'm now. glad we were able to disambiguate that. <laughs> but 
the the title of his talk was Evidence of Past Alien Civilizations in Our Solar System. Okay. So not only are we talking about... Somewhere the, out the, there. The existence of alien life. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. I just showed Andrew that movie for the first time <laughs> recently. You need to see more Don Bluth films, and this one's pretty good. And, and then you were like, don't ever talk to Gary about this. Oh, this is because I've taken to scratching Evening's belly, that's my cat, mm-hmm. and singing, there are no cats in oh, America. I think that's a golly sometimes. streets are paved with cheese. And she's into it. She's like, yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, no cats in America. So, she knows it's false. That was an, an American Tale reference. Yes. For anyone. Great movie. Don Bluth. We both love him. He's a really good animator. We both really into him. What we're talking about. Longstanding uh, debate. <laughs> He's great. Inconvenient Bluth. Uh. Okay, so here's the description that came with the talk. And it it was one of those paid talks where you would have to pay $45 in advance to attend. Yeah, or $45. But I had bought the Sunday all-access ticket, so I was like, let me in. And here's why it grabbed me. Billy Carson will showcase never-before-seen images of remnants of Atlantean civilizations in our solar system. This architecture proves that the Atlanteans were an interplanetary civilization. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I know what you're thinking from what I've told you already. Atlanteans, they're involved? Yes. Yes. Eventually. So supposedly they are an ancient civilization from this here Earth. Right. But somehow this is also going to connect to the eight to nine other yeah, they planets. Were, okay. They were an or inter- seven to eight other planets. An interplanetary civilization. Okay. Okay. And then it goes on. It talks about Billy Carson and who this man is. Yeah. Why should we believe him? Right. And he is now part of my life. <laughs> and we'll be going forward. I just Oh, I know what that feels like. like yeah. Yeah, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And now I realize like, oh, you've done a lot and uh-huh. you've got fingers in so many things, Billy Carson. You are very interesting to me. And I am going to know you henceforth. Exactly. It's like so, the moment you meet Linda Milton Howe. Exactly. So this okay, was cool. the moment where I got to meet wow. Billy Carson. And clearly, I'm sorry, I'm shooting forward and then I'll go back to more of the description. A clearly a very popular person, even at this paid lecture Mm. there were i counted about 110 ish people mostly men seems like a lot of guys are really into him and he was yeah these history talks always seem to mm, grab all the men i guess so whatever that's about it just seems to be true and and like he had a rock star vibe to him oh hell yeah like when he wasn't on stage he was wearing shades and he had the suit jacket and sort of like the black turtleneck and this cool pendant hanging down that was black rock like maybe obsidian sort of wrapped in silver like whoa you're you're a cool dude yeah is a african-american man handsome yeah you showed me a picture i've seen a couple now he's he can take a good picture. And just one of those people you can aim a camera at and it'll be fine. <laughs> right. You told me he's 52. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, f- yeah 50. I think he's 50. Okay. But, but yeah, right around there. But yeah, he looks great and just has this commanding presence. And I, I was watching this other interview with him, which I sent you because it was so funny. Oh, the, right. guy, the guy interviewing him had a, a vocal tick where instead of saying um or some other filler word, he would say, you understand me? Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I just thought it was entertaining to listen for the You Understand Me's. Yeah, it's funny when someone just has that sort of built into their background noise. Used as a form of punctuation almost 
Anyway, so in that interview, Billy Carson was saying that he purposely will go around and just kind of tell himself, I own this room or, you know, I'm mm. I'm in charge and like we'll uh-huh. kind of carry around that sort of internal confidence and it, and it shows it. Mm-hmm. And people were flocking around him afterwards and trying to take pictures. And I was like, who is this guy? Is it like to a Frank TJ Mackey level where you're like, this is like a little gross or is it just like confidence and it's pleasant? Who's Frank TJ Mackey? Oh. And why um, should I not believe him? <laughs> Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia. So oh. maybe that's not an accessible metaphor, but I've like seen a the, pickup artist. Well, now like, I know who you're talking about because yeah. I've seen the film. Okay, okay. Not enough to know the name of the character. It's just, you know, Tom Cruise with slick back, long hair. Yeah. But like that direction where you're like, ew, also this feels grody or oh. more just like, oh, confident in a self-assured but friendly pro-social way. Yeah. I, I didn't get any ickiness from it. It's okay. just like, whoa, people are into this dude. Yeah. I need to look into him more because okay. clearly he's done a lot. Okay, cool. All right, so this will give you some sense of that. Reading on in the bio, Billy Carson is the founder and CEO of Forbidden Knowledge with the number four, all okay. one word, Forbidden Knowledge Incorporated and the best-selling author of The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Oh. And Woke Doesn't Mean Broke. Oh, no. Which okay. It, oh, okay. <laughs> That was quite a journey there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) It just, yeah, when someone puts woke in there, like usually I assume they're like saying, I hate PC culture and that's kind of going to be the level of my analysis here. Having recently read the John McWhorter book and now struggling to write a review of it, I can see where that assumption would come from. Yeah. Yeah, in this case, from what I can tell, it looks like it's kind of like a alternative spirituality prosperity gospel thing. Oh, okay. The universe wants you to be prosperous. Here's how to go about it. Mm -hmm. Here's like some, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you to help you navigate and become wealthy like you should be. Got it. But you can still be woke. So getting back to it, he is also the founder and CEO of Forbidden Knowledge TV. Okay. A new conscious streaming TV TV network. Network. So almost like a um, competitor to Gaia, if you will. Except he has a... He is on Gaia. He is on Gaia. He has a bio on Gaia. So I guess it's not that much of a competition. He is the co-host of Biohack Your Best Life and is an expert host on Deep Space, a Mm -hmm. new original streaming series by Gaia. Okay. This series explores the secret space program, revealing extraordinary technologies and their potential origins. Mr. Okay. Mr. Carson also serves as an expert host on Gaia's original series, Ancient Civilizations, in which a team of renowned scholars deciphers the riddles of our origins and pieces together our forgotten history documented in monuments and texts around the world. Recently, Mr. Carson earned the Certificate of Science, with an emphasis on neuroscience, at MIT and has a Certificate in Ancient Civilizations from Harvard University. So both of these are ones like, I want to know a little bit more about what the certification involves. I suspect, so Harvard does have a certificate program through Harvard Extension School where you can... I think this is kind of neat, but you can work your way into the program. Mm -hmm. So you can like take three or four classes. And if you get a B or better, they're like, well, clearly you can hang here. So yes, you can be in the program. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's neat. So Um, maybe you spend like $500 or something and you get access to this coursework and do it remotely. No, you're paying, you're probably paying full tuition. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're probably paying full tuition if you want it to be for credit. But rather than having like an application process at the front, 
whose ostensible purpose is like to weed out people who can't hang. Mm. They're like, if you want to come and try to hang, go ahead, take three or four classes. Okay. Then they let you into the thing if you do well. I think that sounds cool and egalitarian. I'm all for it. Yeah, agree. So it could be something that uh, that legitimate. Fair enough. Fully allowing for that. But, you know, when someone drops MIT and Harvard, you sure. have to wonder, okay, is totally. that, how earned Let's is check. that? And uh, going back to the bio, among his most notable achievements, if we haven't chronicled them already, Billy is the CEO of First Class Space Agency based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Spe- First Class Space Agency? <laughs> Specifically, his space agency is involved in research and development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. Uh, Drew is also trying to get those self-propulsion things going. Okay. Yeah. Like picking is- himself up by his bootstraps? <laughs> this is a fart joke, but I'm just not doing it well. Oh, I got it. Okay. <laughs> First Class Space Agency, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, I want to look like, that up. Okay, I'm writing it down. This guy just F-C-S-A. has so many involvements and you know he's yeah. like CEO of two things and he hosts all these series and yeah it's kind of like a Linda Moulton Howe figure just in that he has all of this esoteric knowledge to share with us. It's funny when people have these lists of their bona fides how like sometimes they hit you as like increasingly impressive and sometimes my brain goes the other way. And increasingly like, improbable. Yeah or like oh you're counting everything I wonder what even made you add this to the list is there anything reputable beneath what you're telling me at right. this point we've gotten into the area of diminishing returns yeah the more you tell me now it's working against you yeah um looking at his website the official website is forbidden knowledge again with the number four mm-hmm. bit in knowledge that's his official page but he also has forbiddenknowledge.tv about that channel that whole channel that he sure. apparently operates and he also from there offers this Egyptian mystery school you can sign up oh, for oh great and they have tours that you can go on and get inside the pyramid it's like wow whoa with the descending or the ascending staircase this would be descending descending okay yeah. so <laughs> there's more on his Gaia profile so I'm sorry I'm just going to keep gushing about Billy Carson an expert on topics ranging from her Hermetic sciences to hidden technologies. Carson has been featured as a regular guest on Gaia, Travel, History, and Discovery Networks, exploring secret space programs, ETs, ancient anomalies, and potential human origins. Carson contributes to deep space, ancient civilizations, and cosmic disclosure on Gaia. Here's what I love. Combining forces with the top anomaly hunters in the world. Oh. Which... I've always thought would be a really fun series to launch. It's kind of a spoof on all of the Ghost Hunter shows. This one called Anomaly Hunters. Oh, uh-huh. and I thought I was gently ribbing at it with that, oh. <laughs> that title. <laughs> Got it. I just yeah. love that they claim it here. Combining forces with the top anomaly hunters in the world, Carson co-founded the United Family of Anomaly Hunters. Wow, UFA, like you, like Utah would with an F. <laughs> <laughs> With the mission to provide evidence of civilizations past and present within our solar system. Okay. Ooh, relevant to today's talk. The UFA claims to have pioneered two new fields of science. Claims to. Yeah, they are just sort of using language you would normally use just as like a gentle redirect about how to think about this. Like if I said, I claim to have a master's degree. But do you? I claim to have a master's degree. All right, so that means... I claim. 
<laughs> that I have a master's degree. Yeah, it's like the the claim about a claim. Yeah, like we've we've weird. introduced a little remove. Yeah, from the certainty of the statement. <laughs> right. So the UFA claims to have pioneered two new fields of science. Right. <laughs> they didn't pioneer. They no. claim to have pioneered. <laughs> That's all we'll admit to. Ar- we once said it. Here they are: archaeoastronomy and astroanthropology. Archaeo, okay, archaeoastronomy, got it. And what was the other? Astroanthropology. Okay, seems like you took both words and split them up and then put them back together twice. Which Carson feels will become college courses in the not-so-distant future. Oh, he feels that way. Very good. As the CEO of First Class Space Agency, Carson is involved in the research and development of alternate propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. He is also contributor to Entrepreneur Leadership, Thrive Global. Thrive. Is that the same one? I'm guessing it is. Whoa, that's Arrhythmia Connection. I haven't haven't double-checked. It it seems like that documentary and that business are very compatible with... Mm. The world he lives in. Okay. He's a registered international journalist. Oh, where did he register for that? <laughs> I didn't even know we were supposed to register. <laughs> yeah, register. I got to interna- call in. Uh, cap- Hello. Cap- I just want to let you know I'm here. <laughs> capital I, capital J, international journalist and okay. the founder of Pantheon Elite Records. Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, Mike drop at the end there. What doesn't this guy do? I didn't know that he owned a record company. Now I don't need to know <laughs> any of the rest. Wow. Okay. So, my goodness, just yeah. the, the range. We could have a whole podcast about Billy Carson. The range of claims he claims to make. <laughs> exactly. So, there we go. Now you at least kind of have a sense of what we can expect yeah. from Billy Carson. So he strode in and and just kind of launched into this lecture. And it's a big ballroom, the La Jolla ballroom. We've talked about it with some of our other bigger talks like Bashar. Same room. Yeah. And sorry, you said he also makes zero point energy machines or what are they called? He Um, claims to. Perpetual motion machines. Yeah. He's at least researching them for space propulsion. So if he figures that out, he'll be the first person in human history. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be a big deal. Go for it, dude. It's like a footnote to all the other things he's interested in. Oh, by the way, I'm going to fix the entire problem of entropy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And use it for propulsion. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much, BC. Okay. Man. Whoa, he's BC and he talks about ancient civilization. Whoa. Whoa. I know. I was thinking that because you run into like Jimmy Church's JC, like Jesus Christ. You know, we've got BC, Billy Carson. Another one of his claims to fame, I guess, is Mm -hmm. that this is really weird phrasing, but apparently he manages a dozen social media accounts, which have (laughs) over over four million followers. Okay, that's cool. So it could be the same million, 300,000 people that follow him on 12 different. I don't know. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I just like like dropping how many. (laughs) Yeah, it just feels like things you're toggling. Yeah, you're telling me this in a in a way that tells me you're saying this in the most beneficial Mm -hmm. light, Mm -hmm. like in the most impressive sounding way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So, so let's get to Billy Carson's actual talk. So he comes up and yeah, he gets right into it. Uh, He's got slides for the whole thing. So lots of visuals I'll I'll be telling you about. And this particular talk is, at least at the beginning, is really going to focus on the origins of our solar system as seen through the light of the Babylonian creation myth. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of new. I've talked about all these other things, but now we're going to be talking about the Babylonian, the Babylonian creation, creation myth. myths. And we've 
talked about them tangentially before because yeah. in our summer of UFOs mm. uh, and, and other alien conferences that we've been to, there have been speakers who have talked about the Anunnaki and oh, yes. uh-huh. Enki and, and Leel and, and these other figures from Babylonian Sumerian mythology. A lot of it is tied into the kind of ancient aliens hypothesis, the chariots mm-hmm. of the gods sorts of thing. Aliens came here and seeded humanity or something like that. Right. So Billy Carson is saying that he's pulled a lot of information from these tablets. And one thing he wants to... Which est- tablets? Sorry. The tablets that contain the Babylonian creation myth. Okay. Specifically, the Enuma Elish. So, yeah, become familiar with that term, the Enuma Elish. Okay, I like the name. Yeah, so that is that particular Babylonian creation myth. So he wants us to know up front that many people may consider this like Zechariah Sitchin's territory. Mm -hmm. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about this figure. He was the one to really popularize these characters from this myth and relate them to ufology. So Billy Carson wanted us to know that he himself and many other authors have found that Zechariah Sitchin uh, wasn't far from the truth. Sure, he got some things wrong, sure. but that's to be expected. Some things are open to interpretation, and he had his own. Uh, but the general consensus is, according to Billy, that people from somewhere else came to this planet to engage mankind in the distant past. And the record of that is on these tablets okay. that make up the Enuma Elish. And and he also wanted us to know that Zechariah Sitchin wasn't the one to translate them, so people would often like criticize his translation. Mm. That, that wasn't his role. Uh, he was working from an earlier 1876 translation. These tablets were first recovered by an English archaeologist named Austin Henry Laird in 1849. He sounds very important then. Yeah, okay. three names. But oh, I meant because he's the founder. Well, I see. I got you. Apparently, they were just part of a huge collection of tablets that were recovered from Nineveh, the remains of mm. the city, the real city of Nineveh, which is in modern day Iraq. Um, And so he found and translated these tablets, which Billy Carson said were in Sumero-Akkadian cuneiform script. Uh, And you can look up pictures of them if you look up Enuma Elish. It's spelled just kind of like it sounds phonetically. There were initially, I want to say, well, I, I think there are seven tablets total. Okay. And from what Billy was saying, the fifth one was found more recently And the way he was saying it made it sound like, you know, um, I guess by archaeologists, you know, because they're put in order and that's the number that they have. Yeah, I couldn't find like a recent news story saying like, hey, we just found the the fifth tablet. But apparently when they found them initially, there were a lot of gaps and subsequent discoveries have kind of filled some of those missing gaps Mm. because they found other copies of these same tablets and stories. So, you know, this is yeah, this is real Babylonian creation myth. And as far as we can tell, it predates what comes from Genesis. Wow. And so it's really interesting. Yeah. And of course, people could debate either way. How far down was it copied by oral tradition before it got codified? And, you know, how many copies subsequently were made? But yeah, I I think. Should my religious belief lie on something that I can argue this right. <laughs> this intricately R- about? <laughs> right, right. But from all appearances, this is an older myth, and the Genesis one is kind of a derivation of that. Yeah. And as we're looking at the the text and some of this account, you'll see a lot of similarities. And go, oh, okay, yeah, clearly they were 
someone was working from the same source material. Yeah, okay. Anyways, Billy wanted to make that point that Zechariah Sitchin wasn't even born yet in 1876, so he was working from someone else's translation. Uh, But he also wanted us to realize that this isn't derivative of Zechariah Sitchin. He's not just here telling us about Zechariah's findings. He's saying, it's all in the tablets. I'm telling you things that can be backed up that you can look up yourself. Right, okay. So I'm going to draw connections that might be new, but Mm -hmm. I'm not making new claims about what's there. Yes, though I wish he had stated it even that cleanly. Mm. I feel like Billy Carson will make these connections Mm -hmm. and he gets really excited by them and he'll say them with the exact same certainty that he would say Uh, more non-controversial or established information. uh, And he'll say, you know, you can look all this up yourself, but then he'll, he'll say something you're like, okay, that's clearly you projecting, extrapolating, you know, coming up with interesting theories, but I don't think you can say that's on the tablet the way that you're saying. That does take a talented communicator to be able to make that clear every time, but it's so frustrating when someone doesn't even try. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. So it's it's something just to keep in mind when listening to him, like, okay, well, where did you actually get that from? Yeah. Um, A little bit more about these tablets. So yeah, seven clay tablets. In total, we have like about a thousand lines of the story, which is an extensive story. Each tablet has about 115 to 170 lines. Hmm. 115 to 170 lines. These are big tablets or really small writing. Yeah. And and if huh. you if you look them up, you can see them. They, they look like yeah. oh, ancient tablets. Okay. Oh, wow. I guess I haven't spent that much time with like clay tablets and stuff to know like, is this a lot of writing? But it sure looks like a lot of writing. Yeah, they've been able to fill out more information over time, which is an interesting point because Billy was saying that the fifth tablet, which was originally missing a lot of information because they found more lately, he said that before we were not sure if the Anunnaki had a connection to Mars or if they traveled to Mars. And now okay. and now we know definitely we can say that they were on Whoa. Mars. Oh, wow, so, definitely. So it's like, okay, do we know that from Billy or do we know that from the right, tablets? Right, right, right. How definitely is definitely? I think we know that from Billy. Okay, so this was a great opportunity for me to travel into this alternate universe of Babylonian mythology and, and think a little bit, if history had worked out differently, I could have gone to Sunday school and mm-hmm. been taught this yeah. on a flannel graph every Sunday <laughs> instead of the creation story that I was taught, which was just from a slightly neighboring civilization of a place I've never been to, you know, that just happened to be the cradle of much of modern civilization. So it was just kind of fun to hear about this. And what I did is I watched a couple YouTube videos. So I'm just going to summarize what happens in this creation myth. So we sort of have this in our heads, but this isn't me reading the whole creation myth and then summarizing it for you. This is me watching a YouTube clip and then summarizing it. So I'll just put that disclaimer out there. Okay, here's what happens. So in the beginning... Uh, oh, it starts the same. Actually, that that's a good point. The Enuma Elish, that title itself, means when above. And those are the first mm. two words from the epic. Mm. So there, there in the beginning is when, when above. above. Beautiful. Yeah. It's supposed to be dated roughly late second millennium BCE. So, okay. But maybe earlier. Okay. So you start out with nothing, but there are these waters... Somehow there's just waters in the void. Again, Mm. sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Those waters are divided. Okay. And the sweet aspect of them became Apsu, Mm. a god. And the salty aspect became Tiamat. Oh, it's like kettle corn. The goddess of chaos. Okay. They floated in the void. And when they combined once more, 
many gods were created from their union. So they had like children gods, and then those children gods had other children gods, and the universe became filled with gods. Mm, and, getting kind of Mormony here. And th- this was too loud for them. So um, they're like, okay. well, what are we going to do about this? Now we got a problem. There's just too many gods around in Tiamat. <laughs> And Apsu are like, TMI, what, are we, what are we going to do about it? And so Apsu says, well, let's just let's destroy them. And Tiamat says, no, I don't agree with that plan. But Apsu's advisor, now we have an advisor, says, yeah, go ahead and destroy them anyway. We're just not going to tell Tiamat about the plan. Wow. But Enki, again, one of these children gods, overhears this conversation and puts Apsu in a sleep and then kills Apsu oh my God. and his advisor. Wow. Very and, Dietrich Bonhoeffer move. And then builds a house out of Apsu's body. Sure, why not? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay, that's one way to get revenge. Yeah, all right. So then they create a new god, Anki. It's got to be such a small house. I think creates, <laughs> you know, according to Norse mythology, the earth is built out of the parts of a giant. So, you know. Okay, so maybe this It could be a whole a planet, bigger. really. Yeah, okay. So I think it's then Anki who creates a new god with his wife, and that new god is Marduk which becomes like the most powerful god and is the god of the sun. Okay. And one that you hear about a lot, like of mm. these characters, Marduk is another like major character in, in this mythology. Marduk. And so uh, Tiamat finds out about all this and gets in a rage. Like she didn't want Apsu to kill all the gods, but she also didn't want Apsu to be killed. Sure. So she's super upset about this. She's like Anita in West Side Story. And Yeah, there you go. And she says, okay, so now I'm pissed at all these other gods and goes to war against them. They're they're too powerful. To help with this, uh, she gives her advisor, everybody's got an advisor, the Tablets of Destiny. I, I don't okay. know anything about them, but apparently they're important in help in fights. So they were able then to summon these monsters. So you've got all these uh, like uh, fish creatures and hounds and stuff that are helping them out in this battle with the other gods. And so Anki and the other gods are fighting fiercely and they're losing. Tiamat's overpowering them with her monsters and Tablets of Destiny. But then Marduk gets involved. So I don't know why Marduk didn't join the fray to begin with, but yeah. comes in to help against Tiamat. Uh, he creates a net out of the four winds and traps Tiamat. Marduk then challenges her champion, which is the advisor, and takes the Tablets of Destiny for himself. So he wins. Okay. He then fires an arrow that splits Tiamat in two. Oh, my God. So she is destroyed and tears flow out from her and they create the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Oh, all right. Cool. Always wondered wondered where those came from. So wait, just real quick. All these people are still just fighting back against the original guy who wanted to create a lot of destruction. That created its own No, he's own dead now. War. Okay. But now Tiamat's upset that they killed Apsu, and she's like, well, all right, now I'm going to fight you all okay. because you've become too powerful. The cycle of violence Now story. she's dead. Yeah, you know, okay. live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. Okay. So we have the Tigris and Euphrates. That's important. But yes. now Marduk creates the heavens and the earth from Tiamat's corpse. So you can create- Oh my God, how big are they? Maybe they're only (laughs) killing the biggest people. These are really big floating space gods. But like if all of them are really big, then they are not big to each other. So then you can't build a house that's bigger than you out of someone else unless someone else is bigger than you. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to think about it that okay, hard. All this, right. this is before we had like movies that could actually create pictures out of these things. Okay, fair and enough. And it's like we could just let the words play and simmer and do weird things. Okay. But I like this exercise because both you and I can try to picture how this would actually work with things that approximate mass human like forms that we would call gods. Yeah. Before we hear Billy Carson's version of it. Okay. Anyway, so we build the heavens and the earth from Tiamat's corpse. And I guess, I don't know, we hear about the Tigris and Euphrates beforehand. Maybe they fall upon this create. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm, I'm going to stop thinking about it too hard. But now we have to figure out, okay, everybody who helped Tiamat was on her side. What do we do with them? And so we kill her advisor, that, cha- that champion. And from the blood of that advisor is created humans oh to serve the gods and help keep order okay whoo yeah that's the real twist ending at the end so there we go that's my interpretation of this youtube presentation of the babylonian (laughs) epic wow okay of the enuma elish if an accurate summary of the writings about what happened at the beginning of creation is accurate, <laughs> then that is wild. That's wild. Okay. I can't believe it all happened that way. I really can't. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's it's myth. And it's, sure. It's interesting. So Billy Carson wants us to know, when I talk about God in this lecture, you'll hear me reference God. I'm not talking about the Judeo-Christian creator God. I'm talking okay. about these flesh and blood people that were created in these massive battles, Mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, And he said, you know, they're flesh and blood humans. They put on their pants one leg at a time. But Hmm. I call them gods then. But these ancient people, here we go. Mm -hmm. They knew biology and chemistry. Oh. And also had advanced spiritual technology that they were using. And they knew how to live longer. Mm. They could, you know, have themselves live for millennia. Oh, wow. They were encoded in the Bible as creators. And he points out the fact that we've talked about on the show many times that in the Hebrew Bible, when it talks about God creating the world, it uses a plural Plural, term, the Elohim. So he's saying, look, you'll find that this was referring to multiple people, not just this one God. So these were the kind of downstream deities, quote unquote, that the Bible encodes as being God. Fair enough. I I loved his phrasing here. He said, the Bible was accidentally mistranslated on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Feels like we're saying two different things there. But that's how we got just one God. Okay. So now we've got these people. And thanks to the restoration of the fifth tablet, we know they were on Mars. And they were called the EGG. EGG? Yeah, I haven't been able to find that elsewhere yet. I can't say I've looked too hard, but that's how he pronounced it. Huh. They were called so the... It was like just the letters EGG or like... No, I think okay. it was like a word that is pronounced Edge, EG, okay. EGG. But I haven't, huh. I haven't worked to try to figure out the actual spelling of that. But they lived on Mars and they were slaves and they were pissed about it. And he, sure. and he said, that's why it's in our DNA to fight back. You know, they were sick of having the boot on their neck And we get sick of that, too. So then he introduces another epic, the Atrahasis epic. And Atrahasis is a Noah figure in that Mm. parallel mythology. They they also have the flood myth. Again, older than the one we have from the Bible. And it tells the same story as an earlier Sumerian flood story. And this isn't from Billy, but 
I'll just interject that the thinking is that the the region was regularly flooded, but geological records do give us the idea that there was like a really big flood somewhere around 2800 BCE, Mm. which might be the one that got kind of passed down through Mm. oral traditions that Mm -hmm. we all remember. (laughs) Um, So, you know, these could all be kind of pulling from that same massive flood that killed so many people locally, not globally. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so these EGG who lived on Mars, who were slaves, they created our cousins who were similar to us, but not Homo sapiens yet. So they had this technology. They're Mm. able to like create human-like forms. They're experimenting and they're trying to create like this perfect civilization. Do we know anything about the tech itself? Not that he gives us beyond just basic description. Like, hey, we're just starting to discover some of the stuff that was known thousands of years ago. Mm. So maybe I'm just inviting you to let your imagination run wild. Okay. But did you get the feeling that he was talking about like Petri dish babies? Yeah. Or, oh, okay. Yeah. And I feel like in this, he is very much in lockstep with what Rael is saying. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Uh, where they're talking about these creators who are just another alien race that was hugely advanced with technology and knew how to do okay. gene manipulation and splicing oh. and in vitro like fertilization. Would be old news for Exa- them. Exactly. Okay. And it's like, oh, we're just now discovering CRISPR. That's so entry level for them. But eventually, realism teaches, and I'm guessing Billy would sign on to, eventually we will get to the point where we ourselves can rediscover all this technology and do the same things ourselves. Got it. Okay. So there were like multiple versions, like human 2.0, 3.0. You know, they were trying, oh, yeah. di- trying different things. And That's interesting is human 2.0 is a totally different thing at another part of this conference. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. The first Adamu was uh-huh. created and you know one could look at sort of the similarity there to Adam and we had the perfect model and the woman who created it uh, from that race she shouted after she created Adamu my hands have made it oh. so it's kind of like this eureka moment yeah but billy hastens to let us know Adamu was not the first human created clones of that model couldn't reproduce on their own so there still needed Mm. to be a little bit of work to like spark life so that we can actually self-sustain on this planet okay he's still getting this from the tablets yeah it's all from the tablets you can look this up yourself carrie it's not from billy okay they're writing on there like could not reproduce on his own (laughs) i'm sure the name adamu is there and something about creation yeah here we have Billy doing something he does frequently, which is telling us scientists have figured out this thing and it's just confirming what we already know. But scientists tell us this and they're completely wrong about this other thing. So this will come up a lot. And he talks about junk DNA in this context saying that, no, no, it's it's not actually junk. Exactly. Which we hear from creationists, intelligent design proponents. So in his retelling, he's saying this is advanced stuff that's just been like turned off. They mm. they were tinkering with all these models and they kept recreating it. And so to create just the right amount of subservience and human-like features that they were grooming us for, essentially, they turned off these nodes in our DNA and it's the information's still there. Um, also, dude, that's still just junk DNA. You did <laughs> That was the exact same process except through natural selection. Okay. They got turned off. They weren't usable anymore. But, we don't need them now. Fair enough, but... I mean, he is saying something different in that these are advanced features that are turned off. Yeah, and created. Which makes me think, whoa, then if you could turn them on, then uh, Mm -hmm. what would happen to us? But he said that as a result, our pineal glands are smaller. Mm -hmm. So pineal gland always comes up in these conversations. Because supposedly that connects you to the divine. Right. It's like that area in the center of the brain. Um, He says our skulls are smaller, which... 
That's wild to think about because our skull size already creates a real problem for childbirth. Yep. But I guess the earlier versions had larger skulls. And we've lost our connection to the planet hmm. and can no longer sense its resonance. So apparently we used to do that. Hmm. And, and he says that, again, you can look this up. We have all these magnetic crystals in our brain and we aren't able to use them he says i get lost on the elevator that got a good laugh from the audience uh but you know we should have this amazing sense of and connection to the earth i hate when people tell me to google things in this kind of context like at least (laughs) give me one thing that you have memorized as a good source that you can sign mm-hmm. off on. You don't mm-hmm. have to give me an exhaustive one, but don't so just that tell me I that- can check that you're doing good work, give me one reference point that I can go look up. Right. Like, don't just tell me to Google the entire world's worth of information. Which we see so often, that, yeah. you know, kind of do your own research thing. Like, to what? Like, yeah. pin it down a little bit. Yeah. Give me a specific claim, not a whole broad branch of conclusions. Like, yeah, yeah. look it up. This just happened at a conference I went to this last week where I asked, okay, and Mm -hmm. how do you know that, basically? And the speaker just scoffed at me. It was like, we can't be encyclopedias up here. Use Google Scholar. Mm. You'll find it. And I'm like, At least give me a search term to use. (laughs) Yeah. And also, it happens to be something like, I disagree with the speaker about. So, like, I'm already Mm -hmm. in that data. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you're looking at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So frustrating. That is frustrating. Communication. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's someone who's actively trying to avoid a critique of their, yeah. their statements. I, I don't think that's Billy here. But right. but yes, he does make these kind of broad claims to being backed up by evidence that mm-hmm. you can look up. And in some cases here I have, in some cases, you know, I didn't look up the magnetic crystals in our brain. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that doesn't yeah. sound hugely controversial to me. We hear about like iron deposits in our nose. Oh, sure. That's probably okay. what he's referring to. Okay. That sure sounds different. Iron deposits in my nose versus magnetic crystals in my brain. But you're right. One sounds fancier. It's the same, isn't it? So apparently we were created on this planet as this sort of multiple version of humanity that finally got the ability to reproduce itself. And Billy Carson says that we were created to be slaves, essentially, like to accomplish things for these gods, these greater ones above us who created us. Wow. Uh, Is he seeing that as a good or a bad thing? We're not saying that it's a bad thing. Okay. Yeah, it's weird because he seems to revere the figures who created us. Yeah. But at the same time, sort of wants us to rebel against them. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. And he says the fun take. Yeah. Like, I would love to. It's not a fun. Slavery (laughs) is never a fun take, but it's a fun take that we should rebel like against God that it's a kind of God that you can rebel against because yeah. usually that's a futile thing like oh yeah let's rebel against the omnipotent creator yeah, of the universe this is kind of satanic this is kind hmm. of inherently satanic interesting at least in uh, application I would love to hear him riff on this and I wouldn't be surprised if he does in some of his many other platforms and media mm-hmm. but he didn't hear in this talk uh, but what he said was that the best slave doesn't know that they're a slave and so we've, sure. been, we've been set up to bust our asses every day for the gods thinking there's going to be an afterlife. And yeah, so this is an interesting note where it feels like he's kind of invalidating that whole idea. That came to us through the Judeo-Christian lineage of beliefs. But he's saying, no, 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 no. That's just a false promise that we've been given so that we'll do their bidding. So it was all a big trick that was perpetrated on us. Okay. Damn, okay. Yeah, so he he doesn't go forward with that. But yeah, I'd love to hear more thoughts on this, and I'm sure he has them. But what he says next is, I'm going to show you all a short video about the creation of our universe. Great. I'm in. And I say, okay, cool. (laughs) 
How short is it? <laughs> you see, you, I don't know if it was the way I told it or you're, you've just been burned by <laughs> me showing you the Too Many Cooks video in the past. But I, speaking of tricks being played, I 100% fell for this. He's like, oh, short video. He said that twice. And he like goes to play it. Compared to the creation of the world. So I put my camera into video mode. And so I, I hold my hands up in the audience, hoping I'm not being annoying to the people behind me. And I'm going to like take a video of this short video. Uh-huh. All right. Let me show you a little bit of this. Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to play this short video and we're going to move on. But this is the Numi Lish. So it's it's being read and it's being kind of visualized for you. So Because I know a lot of people are visual. So you're going to get a combination of the both. This is the account of the earth and its gold. It is an account of the beginning and how the celestial gods were created. In the beginning, when in the above, the gods in the heavens had not yet been called into being. And in the below... Ki, the firm ground, had not yet been named. Alone in the void, there existed Apsu, their primordial begetter. In the waters of the below, the celestial gods had not yet appeared. In the heights of the above, the celestial gods had not yet been created. Above and below, the gods had not yet been formed. Destinies were not yet decreed. No reed had yet been formed, no marshland had appeared. Alone did Apsu reign in the void. Then, by his winds, the primordial waters were mingled. A divine and artful spell Apsu upon the waters cast. Okay, the great thing about this videography, folks, is you get to experience it with Ross because <laughs> you close up on the video screen. Uh huh. And then the VO, the voiceover, is kind of dying down. So you're assuming the video is over and you slowly pan to the right and he's still just standing there. And then the VO begins again and you jerk left. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. oh, there's more. Focus on the video. And that okay. happens three or four times. <laughs> it's great. So this video that they're playing up on the same screen that's going to host Bashar just oh, shortly thereafter okay, uh-huh. is showing all of this footage from space and it's really advanced graphics. It looks great. And I'm thinking, was this created for this presentation or is he pulling it from other sources and putting this voiceover on top of it? But it's his voice, right? No, it's somebody else's oh, it voice. Is. Okay. And that, that person's not a good voice actor. Whoever's reading it is reading from the Enuma Elish and just narrating what happened in terms of these gods creating other gods and things popping from the void and spears being inserted into other gods as they die and their blood being spilt. And and then there's dramatic music. If I had to guess, I would say it was like Gustav Holst's The Planets. Mm. But uh, You're okay. still holding this up for me to see. It's a long-ass video. Oh, yeah, I, it's weird. He said it was a short video. How long is it? So I'm holding my arms up and I'm getting tired. <laughs> And the story just keeps going on and gods are getting killed and they're creating these new gods and you see all these plants like bashing into each other and the, the sun and there's all of this drama happening in the in the firmaments and the video goes on for 19 minutes. Oh, wow. That's not a short video. That's short like a short film for the Oscars is short. <laughs> If you can submit your film for an Oscar, it is not a short video. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, my arms are just getting exhausted. Like, when is this going to end? But now I've committed to this. And so I captured the whole thing. Occasionally on the lower right, I'll see pop up a little National Geographic logo. Mm. And I'm like, ah, he's just grabbing space footage from different sure. sources. But I don't know, some, some things he showed felt very specific to the text. And so mm. I had to think like, oh, did he have some special created for this presentation or for his channel or whatever. And what did you say he's reading from? It's from the original Enuma Elish. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. And so actually afterwards, once it's all done, he says, well, there you go. Uh, You don't have to go read the Enuma Elish now. You've heard it. Okay. So I guess it can be read in 19 minutes or maybe it's a truncated version of it. Okay. There's also little text overlays on top of what's happening, sort of describing what we're looking at. Uh, I told you the same story before my retelling from the YouTube video, but as he's recreating this in his video, he's telling the story of these conflicts between Tiamat and Marduk, but these are actual celestial bodies. They're not people with arms and legs. They are planets oh super planets or the sun fighting each other and like having their blood drained and yep, stuff exactly I disagree i disagree <laughs> and he's essentially saying what i figured out from analyzing the text okay. this was actually just the story narrative form of the formation of our solar system and these names given to the different messengers uh, and and characters are actually the names of Jupiter and Mars and eventually Earth, which gets created in this conflict. But, you know, when when it says, you know, he thrust his spear, the spear could be the rings around that planet, that hypothesized no, planet. <laughs> it couldn't be. <laughs> really, no. Carrie rejects us. No, it couldn't be. Yeah, I'm I'm having this realization as I'm watching it like, oh, this is this is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> but also I'm also in my little alternate universe where I had classes on Sundays where they taught me this origin myth on flannel graph. And I'm thinking, wow, how interesting that he's reinterpreting it. Like we've seen so many different reinterpretations of Genesis. Uh So it's just fascinating on so many levels. So it's also just so confusing. Like why? (laughs) Why use this language to describe? Why not just say and the planets bumped into each other instead of right like, there was a guy yeah and why not say a, that also okay is he getting this because there are like exactly eight gods mentioned in this thing or exactly nine if he's counting pluto no not quite because okay. um he's also hypothesizing planets that no longer exist oh great or have gone missing Okay. Oh, this is really hard. And to... in what way was like Mars fighting with Venus or whatever? Because <laughs> they crashed into each other. Oh, know. did they? Well, in cor- according point. to him. Okay. Not in reality. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah because weird... because the whole idea of a solar system is that you're all revolving around the sun, mm-hmm. so, like, crashing into each other, and that, that you're all formed at the really same time. Hard. So he's uh-huh. he's borrowing from science when something that we know from science supports the, uh-huh. the story that he's painting. And then, Fickle friend to science. Right. Disregards everything else science tells us about the formation of the solar system. So yeah. the, the story is not compatible with what we know, but every now and then he'll reference what we know when it fits in nicely with I'm going to start story. calling people that. An FFS, a fickle friend of science. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. a useful concept for the things we discuss. Yeah. I, I don't obviously know it as well as he does, but let me give you some of the highlights of what's going on in this dramatic solar system creation. Okay. So essentially what he believes is that we had the 
the rough formation of what would become our solar system and the planets in it, but they were out of order. And Mm. it was the massive event of this other planet, Tiamat, Mm -hmm. floating in. Well, I guess Tiamat was already there. No, it's Nibiru. There we go. Nibiru. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for correcting yourself. Well, (laughs) and many people may recognize this name like, oh, Nibiru. Okay. Oh, we've heard that before because oh. it's this hypothesized ninth planet. Oh, okay. That people okay. will often use as a placeholder either for these kind of like spiritual purposes or because they feel like there's gravitational effects that they feel might be related to a long lost planet. Okay. So Nibiru gets used in multiple ways. And Billy Carson himself says, by the way, you may have heard of Nibiru before and thought it was just a made up term. A contraire, it is in this text. That's oh. where we get that name. And yeah, okay. th- that's legitimately interesting. That's where that term comes from. But I will say, no one's like officially confirmed this. Like, oh, there was definitely this other planet. It's just kind of like a placeholder oh, right. in various theories. Okay, so it was Nibiru coming in as this massive other body and kind of messing things up, causing a lot of these collisions. And throwing some planets out of whack. For example, he says that Pluto used to be a moon of Saturn, but when this big cataclysm happened, it threw Pluto out of its orbit around Saturn, and now it has its wonky orbit around the sun. Uh, And he said science confirms this. I don't think science confirms that. Someone let me know if I'm wrong. Science, if you're listening, give us a call. (laughs) Yeah, right. But then we had this other planet, which was named Tiamat, this other major player in this legend. And it was this watery planet. And the way it's visualized on screen, it just looks like a giant ball of water. Mm. But he tells us later that it did have land and civilization on it. And it was smashed into by Nibiru when that came in. So this is, again, it's painted as battles with spears and armor and blood draining but no this is all just the description of planetary interactions so we have somehow there are creators the planets yeah it's strange because he's telling us that there are all of these individuals that have arms and legs and put their pants on like the rest of us yeah uh and yet he's also painting this huge interaction of the gods so I'm, i'm guessing at some point he draws a distinction where we go from the gods as planets to gods as living human like beings maybe from those planets right and okay maybe at some point one of them evolved i'm not sure where we jump that bridge from evolution to creation uh, in in creating these figures. But also, any humans, whatever their technology, they're not going to be surviving these massive cataclysms that are breaking up planets and ripping them in two. Oh, this is while we're here? Yeah, well, he's saying that our civilization was seeded by people who already like lived on Tiamat, essentially. okay. Just in case you're wondering, well, what happened to Tiamat? Its remnants are now the asteroid belt. Okay. Which, okay, we concede that there was a planet that never fully formed or was destroyed and became what is the asteroid belt. He's calling that Tiamat because it's convenient. Lamu was Mars. Lahamu was Venus. Ansha was Saturn, I think. I could be wrong on that. Kishar was Jupiter. And so he's giving us these little overlays. But yeah, there's just so much info. It's all so fast. And the story, again, it it has very similar language to Genesis. So occasionally it'll Mm. talk about mingled were the waters. So then he gives us a few different on-screen representations of what this water mingling could look like. Maybe Tiamat, the planet, is having its water ripped from it by gravity from the sun, Mardu or maybe it's um, being broken into pieces and part of that becomes the earth. Uh, You know, he's saying 
we're not entirely certain about how that particular passage okay. uh, interprets into this planetary story. Doesn't matter. They're all compatible. Uh, but yeah, it's so strange because I'm so used to people doing this sort of peeling apart and reconstructing from the Bible. And mm-hmm. here he's doing it with Babylonian mm-hmm. mythology. It's just, it's kind of fun. That's the thing he's attached to and can't give up for some reason. <laughs> right. And every now and then he'll incorporate other pieces of mythology. So it's not just the Babylonian one. Every now and then he'll say like, aha, and this is why in Greek mythology, we talk about Jupiter devouring his sons or Kronos, you know, devouring his sons. Okay. Here we see it happening in this big space battle. Okay. Because this planet ate another one. Right. Man. And, and let me just read a passage that I pulled from another source just so you can kind of hear what the text sounds like and now try to imagine this happening with planets. She opened her mouth, Tiamat, to swallow him. He drove in the evil wind so that she could not close her lips. The terrible winds filled her belly. Her heart was seized. She held her mouth wide open. He let fly an arrow. It pierced her belly. Her inner parts he clove. He split her heart. He rendered her powerless and destroyed her life. He felled her body and stood upright upon it. Yeah, none of that says planet. And all of it says Nostradamus to me. Mm-hmm. Taking a very loose, poetic representation and saying, okay, now we can insert very specific things. And yes. uh, that was that mention of splitting her heart. That's actually a reference to the core of the planet or you yeah, know, whatever it may be. Billy Carson takes that and takes it one step further And it's like, oh, it's just like this thing that is not established to have happened. (laughs) Usually we take Nostradamus and we peg him to something we know happened. Yes. And say, oh, he knew that was going to happen. This guy's like, the ancient wisdom says X would happen. And I'm saying that's just like Y, which I also don't have evidence of having happened. Right. Yeah. Very strange lateral move. Doesn't get us anywhere. <laughs> For sure. Oh, I should mention he pronounces what I've always heard as Nibiru as mm-hmm. Nibiru. So. Oh, I feel like I've heard both of those. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. yeah, is, uh, is very likely the better pronunciation. He's obviously spent more time looking into Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Speaking of planets, Ross. Yes. I actually just collided with another planet. And when I did. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I did, they handed me some mail from their planet to our planet. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm sure that was traumatic. But if you're feeling up yeah. to it, uh, oh, share with me what the mail said. Yeah. Okay. So they just said, I know you have a podcast. Maybe you can read this out to all of humanity so that the right person gets it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So the message is for L, and it's from Piper. Wonderful. Oh, you know what? And it says Jumbotron at the top. Oh, well, that makes sense. Those often happen in planetary collisions. Yes. Okay. So let's see. Here's what it says. Happy birthday, love. I hope you had the best 25th birthday any person on this planet Uh has ever or will ever have. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I love every moment I get to spend with you, and I cannot wait to spend as many more of them with you as I can. Thank you for listening to this podcast with me. Oh, wow. They knew it would go through a podcast. Interesting. And for sharing all the things you like to do with me as well. I hope everyone on your planet survived also. Oh, God, me too. But yeah, well, what a wonderful message and a very happy birthday to Elle from us. And this was a little late and that's our fault. It's our fault. Don't blame Piper. Piper was right on time. Yeah, they sent it to the planet. The planet crashed against us. It's really hard to control the timing of that kind of thing. That's true. Yep. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Well, it sounds like one lesson of Billy Carson. 
mm-hmm. is that anyone can put anything they want on the internet and someone else is going to read it. Yeah, that's a lot of power. Yeah. I mean, how do I get that power, Carrie? What if I wanted to put my own theories on the internet? Oh my God, I'm so glad you mentioned that because just coincidentally, yeah. this episode is sponsored in part by Squarespace, which is a website building platform. Oh my goodness, Squarespace? Yeah. That's the all-in-one platform for building my brand and growing my business online. Yeah, yeah, it is. I could stand out with a beautiful website. I could engage my audience uh-huh. I could sell anything, my products, content I create, and even my time. Yeah, you could. You could do all of that. Wow, just that one word really did a lot for me. Thank you, Carrie. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, Squarespace is great. We use it. We've used it for like 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's where just, our site's been all along. Yeah. Long before we were supported by Squarespace. It's true. And every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features, Ross, and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. So if you want to get to the top of Billy Carson's search. Yeah. They'll help you. Yeah, when you know he has other people look things up to verify, mm-hmm. maybe they'll find your site. Yeah. I didn't know about this. Apparently, they have a Squarespace Video Studio app now that lets you yeah. create pro-level videos effortlessly. That's cool. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, we, we should check those out. You can also add online booking and scheduling for like classes or sessions or whatever it is you offer on your Squarespace website. And clients can easily see your availability or reschedule if needed, taking the hassle out of coordinating calendars. I do love when people have this, when yeah. I need to schedule a call and they're like, just use my thing. It's already got my schedule. Yeah, it's, it's so nice. It saves like three back and forth. It's like, oh, actually, you know what? Tuesday's uh, not so good for me now. Now remind me, are you in mountain time? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So uh, yeah, uh, very cool. Good for business. So head to squarespace.com slash ono for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code ono to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. But Ross, what else have you been up to lately? Like, have you been playing any games, hanging any hangs, doing any do's? Let me tell you what I've been up to, Carrie. Mm. I've been playing Best Fiends. Oh, that's a fun game. I've made significant progress because I think the last time we talked about Best Fiends on the show, I was, I want to say in like the 2800s, which was impressive. Mm -hmm. Something like that. But I'm at 3,000. 292. Wow, that is a bigger number than that other number. That represents a a lot of me doing this while I watch movies, walk around the neighborhood. You can play Best Fiends anywhere. And you know what? This came in handy recently. Uh, I was, oh, I was on an airplane. I was trying to think, where was I that I didn't have the internet? And I wanted to take a break from my book Mm -hmm. and play a game. And Mm -hmm. I could play Best Fiends. And then later on, it synced up. And it was like, oh, let's update. You you get some new rewards now because you're connected to the internet again. But the important thing was I could play while I was there. And I am making also amazing progress in my collection of Fiends. Mm. So I have now gotten almost all of them i'm just missing oh i like that little guy with the um the really tall hair oh abe abe oh and i have a good friend named abe yeah there we go i've gotten almost all of them and leveled them up i think i'm just missing two fiends whoa there's an epic fiend a red one i don't have and there's an epic purple fiend i don't have they're all little bugs cute little bugs with big eyes yeah and i've got them leveled up yeah it's a puzzle game it's colorful it's happy you get to use a little bit of strategy but it's not stressful i am also on a very admirable streak right now so i'm gonna brag here and those of you who are playing the game are gonna be like wait how did he do this i i have a 403 game win streak 
Oh, wow. Which means that I've successfully completed 403 levels in a row. Wow. Like, I'm afraid to do any of the side missions now because I don't want to lose my streak. Anyways, uh, this is ridiculous, but this is just Ross hooked <laughs> on a game. I, I'll give a little piece of Best Fiends advice. Yeah. I would say one thing that uh, you want to train yourself to do is when you start a new level, don't start playing a move right away. Look at the fiends that you've got assigned to you because it'll auto assign fiends to you. Uh, and you can often improve upon the ones that they've suggested to you. You know, the suggested ones are good. And they all have different strengths and talents. Exactly. Yeah. Some of them can like knock out two lines at once, or some of them will change other like colors around them into their color, or they'll mm-hmm. double up the color. So you got to be strategic about it. So I would say just like break the reflex to start playing right away because mm-hmm. then you lose the opportunity to change your fiends. So make oh. make sure that you take that moment look at what the Aim objectives are you fire. exactly because yeah. sometimes you'd be like oh, i just started the level but i really should have used rue instead of cc or abe okay yeah. uh-huh. so uh, there Got you go that, that's my little strategy for the day okay yeah that's a hot tip and best fiends is a free to download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play which i can say is true there are dozens of unique fiends to collect so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat menacing slugs and there are brand new events and challenges popping up all year round so you've always got a chance to earn exclusive in-game items characters and rewards you've earned your fun time go to the app store or google play to download best fiends for free plus earn even more with five dollars worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. Ooh, that's cool. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Yay. So yeah, a lot of things happen. Saturn switched places with Neptune. And he says, we know this from astrophysics. I don't know if we know this yes, from we astrophysics. Do. Astrophysics, if you're listening, give us a call. <laughs> Uh, Tiamat was, he says, four to six times the size of Earth. Okay. Uh, okay. The the crash. Oh, yeah. So the text refers to the upper parts that came from Tiamat, and that's what formed the Earth. So the Earth mm. got formed out of this cataclysm. And the upper parts. Ooh, the topsoil. We got all of our water from okay. Tiamat. We got all of our organic material, uh, and that's how the Earth was formed. And, okay. And he said, this is why, because, you know, this is so ancient and there were these earlier civilizations. This is why, like, we find stuff on the earth that looks super ancient, like billions of years old. And we're like, well, look how old these rocks are. We're looking at older civilizations and previous planets. We're not looking at earth. We're looking at the remnants of Tiamat. Okay. I mean, we probably are looking at, on some level, the remnants of something. Sure. But why this? <laughs> yeah, fair. And so he said that you can dig on Earth and you'll find like a vase from 300 million years ago. Okay. I don't know about that. I'm going to do it. You can find... Digging in my backyard. And if I don't <laughs> find a vase, I'm writing to him. You can find hammers that are dated 200 million years old. Again, okay, I wow. doubt that. And he says that when we find things like that, we're just finding things from this pre-existing planet with a full civilization of advanced spiritual and scientific beings. Huh. So he says, not only that, we're not from originally, we're not from the solar system. This okay. goes back even farther. And oh, he says, I get okay. it. This is like the shock of learning that like your family is not your family. You you actually came from somewhere else. Yeah, especially since you said we were like seated by people in this solar system. So apparently it goes back another level. Okay. And I'm we <laughs> we originally come from, get ready to know your history, Carrie, the Sagittarius Dwarf Galaxy. Oh, 
not Sagittarius. SDG. The old SDG. Now, not to be confused with Sagittarius, the constellation. We are from the dwarf galaxy. And it collided with the Milky Way and had been gobbling it up. And that's actually what caused all of these huge cataclysms is these two galaxies. And what are we basing this on? Interacting with each other. Um, That same mix of mythology plus selective use of science. And Billy's head? Billy's head, yes. Okay, got it. That's highly involved in this whole process. Okay. (laughs) So all of the pattern of light and stars that we call the Milky Way, oops, nope. No, 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 no. We need to rewrite our science books. Okay. That's the Sagittarius Dwarf Galaxy. Oh, we're in the Sagittarius Dwarf? Well, they merged, yeah. Okay. Oh, I see, I see. So, you know, what we see as the Milky Way, that's actually the Sagittarius Dwarf Galaxy. That merging is still happening. And in the future, we're going to merge with Andromeda and become the Milkomeda. And that got a good laugh Mm. from the audience. And then he made some joke about, like, if you want to stick around long enough, you can be there for that. And I don't know if he was alluding to the fact that we could somehow reincarnate or use technology to live extra long. But there was sort of this joke like, hey, you know, if you play your cards right, you know, you could Mm. still be around for that millions upon millions of years in the future. This is really interesting because it's got a kind of transhumanist bent. Mm -hmm. Over a couple doors down, we've got someone giving a talk all about how transhumanism is evil and human 2.0 is what they're trying to turn us into and they're trying to make us immortal and all of that. I would love to see those two in a room. Yeah. And duke it out. Debate. Yeah. Marduke it out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he's got all kinds of other interesting astronomical factoids to drop on us. He said, there's another planet beyond Mars and he puts it out to the audience. So we've got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and then Jupiter. That's what I said. That's what other people in the audience said. We're all like, yeah, we know our, we know our order of the planet. So we yelled out Jupiter. And he's like, no, it's Ceres. Oh. Okay. And he said, you know, no one ever mentioned Ceres. Why didn't they mention it? And I said much quieter to myself, like, because it's a dwarf planet. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... it's Okay, that was going to be my guess, but I didn't even know if it okay. was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and even in like in the They Might Be Giants song, they mentioned that Ceres comes right before the asteroid belt. Or it's like in the ins- oh, okay. inside side of the asteroid belt. It's the only dwarf planet in the inner solar system. So, you know, it's a legitimate body. It's a cool body. Uh-huh. And yeah, people talk about it. But, you know, yeah, most kids don't know about it. It, they've learned about the major planets because we, we all learn the basic facts. And right. this is a next level fact for someone who cares a little more about uh, astronomy or our solar system. Anyway, so he, he makes a big deal about this. And he says that Ceres, they kind of want us not to focus on it because it tells us a lot about this whole story. First of all, it has more water than Earth, okay. which is interesting and true. Okay. That there's a, a ton of water on Ceres. Is it potable? That's a good question. Bring it over. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let's go drink their milkshake. (laughs) But he said, so when we flew by Ceres a few years back with one of our probes, Mm -hmm. the lights were on. Like NASA could- What? Literally? Yeah, so- What? (laughs) I'm going to have you do this, Carrie. Just do a Google image search for Ceres, C-E-R-E-S. Okay. Yep. And this is where I was like, oh, this is what he does. This is how his brain works. <laughs> oh, no. So you're going to see. The lights were on. Okay. <laughs> so he says that NASA tried to pass this off oh, as being like no. maybe ice formations or something. 
Oh, no, buddy. And so Carrie's oh, looking honey. at this and she can see that it is a very desolate looking body, but... And then reflection of some kind of Yeah, light. there's a reflection. Yeah. But like just in the middle of this barren, desolate, unmarked landscape is, you know, bits of reflective material. And to him, that means the lights are on. And he said this was confirmed because when the probe oh, flew past and looked backward without the sun shining directly on it, you could still see that the lights were on so it can't just be the sun reflecting. Yeah. I mean, you look at oh, it. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Oh, buddy is yeah. right. I mean. There's no I, way that's his, true. His explanation. Okay. I was going to say like his explanation is like, you know, one in 35,000 that we should consider. You know, if we uh-huh. had to rule out all the rest, then like, okay, also maybe they have electricity down there. But first I'd rule out like, you know, the light coming off of your vehicle and then the light coming off of the sun and then the light that's bouncing off of some other planet. Like you have so much to figure out before you arrive at. Right. They Let's play with this maybe idea. Maybe they had a There's Ben Franklin down there. Civilization. Right. Yeah, Thomas Edison. Thomas, Thomas Edison. Edison. That's it. This one, right? Yeah. I'm showing you the photo. Yep. God. Yeah. And that oh, one's buddy. been a little colorized. That really helps me, though, understand this world building and like how it's happening for him. Yeah. He, um, all he needs is just yeah. a, a thread okay. of information oh. and then he can build on that. Uh, now that it's like this specific of like what's probably going on for him, I feel bad for I, him. I feel like that was a revelatory moment for me. Yeah. Like, okay, I see what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't too sure before because I hadn't had time to look at the, the text. And then you have like vicarious that. embarrassment for them because it's like, <laughs> like, oh no, you're building a whole like career off of this. And this is such a simple misunderstanding. Right. And, and now in order to backtrack, you have to say something so ridiculously humble that it would be a lot to ask of anybody yeah yeah good point oh a very simple thing i misinterpreted and this is it's called a dwarf planet for a reason it's 296 miles in diameter it's 113th the width of the earth you know this is a it's a small body so you know it's it's gonna have negligible gravity anyways but yeah he thinks that there's advanced civilizations hiding there in plain sight uh, then he plays news clip from Fox News. I, I didn't even get like what the expertise was of this person, uh, but he was pointing out like three dots that had been identified in the sky. And, and it was a time lapse where it was just showing like these dots show the course of a planet like figure that's floating out 7.5 billion miles from the sun. Bashar! <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah, much bad. farther than Bashar, <laughs> but I'm sure he would be able to tell us something interesting about this other figure. Anyway, so different part of the sky than Pluto, and yeah, very interesting. Um, there are other large objects out there that we haven't identified before. Space so, is big. Yeah, so that's all we learned from that is, yeah, there's this other big rocky body somewhere out there uh, kind of floating in the middle of nowhere. Um, but for him, this was either confirmation of like a Planet Nine or just um, one of these other figures from this cataclysm. I don't think he positively ID'd the specific one, but he said the point is they're finding these objects. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it fits my story. Here's another fun fact you may not have known. We live in a binary solar system. There's actually two suns, Carrie. Oh, I have heard this before. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember who. But someone at Contact in the Desert oh. in 2017 okay. also talked about the second sun. I wasn't aware of this. But yeah, it's a dark red sun, I guess technically a brown dwarf. It's much smaller, but it has the same mass as our sun. Yeah, so, okay. So it swings around and like apparently it has like its own uh, rotation. Like it moves through our our solar system and causes effects. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, that makes it kind of not in the system. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> so as it reaches... I don't a, know a lot about astronomy, <laughs> but I know what system means. Yeah, none of this is right. This is ridiculous. So <laughs> oh, no. as as that second oh, no. sun okay. reaches certain places in its orbit, it creates gravity waves, which creates cycles. And it's the main cause of, guess what? Weather? Planet, uh, oh, you were so close. Climate change? Yes. Ah. Uh, it is the true- Oh, it's not us. It's the it's that renegade sun oh, running through our solar system. You know it, Carrie. That's literally what he says. He <laughs> says it's not you driving your car, using oh, hairspray. Oh, good. We it, can keep up those really awful things. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, yeah, those have some effect, but it's so small compared to this. Mm-hmm. Global warming, if you take the ice core data and you go back tens of thousands of years, every 15,000 years or so, you find a global warming period and this one isn't even the hottest one we're in great shape it's oh, all good oh yeah okay well it's, you you hear that a lot there's yeah. this there's it's this narrative can of worms there's this narrative that's uh just you know for making money so i was like whoa this is what he's saying okay yeah yeah uh-huh. this is all billy carson uh pontificating on on the for f- making money the, the opposite <laughs> oh no on the it's- foolishness of global warming oh no yes oh yeah this is for awful making money i mean it's so reversed from the reality. Not that no one can make money off of green yeah. energy. Of course you can. But like the reality is that free business and free market has fucked all of the regulation up. So that we, <laughs> right. the opposite thing right. is happening. Yeah, money is moving in the opposite direction. A hundred percent. So yeah, he just dismisses all of that and says like, yeah, it's just this, you know, the brown dwarf other sun and it creates gravitational waves that generate heat where they intersect. It's basic physics, people. Oh. <laughs> I'm like really tempted to like okay. get up and shout, you are out of your depth. <laughs> <laughs> basic physics. Can you recommend a basic physics book? <sighs> Where would I find that in a basic physics book? Yeah, look it up, Carrie. Do, do a Google search. <laughs> Google this. So he then talks more about the EGG. These are the slaves who are on Mars. Oh, right. And kind of our predecessors, if you will. And again, this isn't just according to Billy. This is according to the tablets. You can check everything he says. So they rebelled. And they came to Earth, and this is like when you hear about, even in the Genesis account, in the Noah flood myth, and this will come up when we talk about the Ark, that you have this really weird passage about the sons of God coming to Earth and having sex with the daughters of men uh and creating the Nephilim. So he feels like, oh, this is just, you know, those slaves from Mars, they're rebelling, they come over to Earth, they steal some of our Earth women and take them back to Mars with them. Great. Mars needs moms. (laughs) Oh, Wow, I didn't think about that connection. <laughs> I'm gonna, I gotta watch that movie again. Totally different Never light. Seen it. Oh, is it a, is it an animated movie? Yeah, it's yeah. an animated film. And so he alludes to like, there's some stuff in these tablets that's pretty like lewd and racy. And so I'm gonna, oh. I'm gonna leave out some of the specifics because I'm sure there's like kids in the audience. But there was lots of inbreeding and stuff like that going on. And sure. all of this is during this genetic exploration that's happening to create the human race. Okay, so here's where we start getting into some Egyptology stuff and some some other ancient tablets that we've briefly mentioned before. And Billy Carson happens to be, you know, a quote unquote expert on. Mm. So I can't wait to tell you more about this, but I think I'm going to save some of this Mars architecture and civilization and these connections to ancient Egyptian mythology. I I think I, I better save these for our part two of Billy Carson. 
because uh, there's just so much here to unpack. It's, okay. It's fascinating. Yeah. Who knew that there would be so much for this guy? I know. And the, the, the more I was like reviewing this and trying to like look up what he was talking about, I was like, oh, these are big topics. And wow, what an alternate explanation of our history we're getting from Billy Carson. Huh. Okay. Can't wait. I guess that's it for our show. This episode was edited by Ross Blotter. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Yes, please. And thank you. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us. You're the best. And by the way, this weekend, June 3rd through 5th, I'm going to be at Max Fun Con. Come say hi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're there, I wish I could be with you. I know. I'm not. I'll be waving from the election center. Yeah. Ross is going to volunteer at the polls. Work in the polls. Appreciate you prioritizing that, though. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bummed, too, because it's like the final Max Fun Con. It could be. At least yeah, for at, the foreseeable for, future. Yeah. For now, it is the last one. And I am giving the benediction, which is yeah. usually, usually John Hodgman's role, so I'm very honored. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Might need to wear some robes or something. We'll see. We'll see. Also, make sure to get in your votes. There's been a wild flurry of activity around your banjo playing. Yes. So if you want to vote on Carrie's banjo playing, join in on the fray. You have till the end of June 17th, and you will go to tinyurl.com slash Carrie Banjo. Excellent. And then if you want to join us the following day, Ooh. June 18th, yeah. for our ketchup and mustard eating. <laughs> that is tinyurl.com slash catsup ketchup. Yeah, ketchup, not ketchup. Right. Great naming. <laughs> Clever. Uh, Tiny... You'll never forget it. You'll never have trouble typing that in. All right. <laughs> tinyurl.com slash C-A-T-S-U-P. C-A-T-C-H-U-P. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> This is my idea. It's my fault. Again, don't use that until the day of because that will launch a Zoom link. Yeah. Uh, that will take you into Zoom where you will be able to see us. We'll be in webinar mode. Uh, you can interact with us there. It'll be fun. We'll take questions. We'll have somebody moderate. Maybe, the questions. Maybe Drew, maybe somebody else. Yeah. It'll be great fun. For you. The listener. Probably not for us. Oh, right. I'll be eating a jar of Grey Poupon. And I'll be eating a jar of ketchup, <laughs> which is usually has a lot more in it. It sounds jarring. Yeah. Uh, we will hopefully see you then. This will be fun. And uh, vote on the banjo. We'll, we'll announce it at the, uh, the ketchup and mustard show. And remember. Now, what are the different type of aliens? You know, because you got the greys, you got yeah, the blacks. Yeah. I want to know. What's a different type of aliens? There's all kinds. Well, you have black people. I think most of the UFOs that are flying overhead are being posited by black people. That's now, my personal opinion. Now, that's very interesting because Honorable Elijah Muhammad said mm. decades ago that there was a mothership up there. Mm. You understand me? And he gave a, a full description of the mechanics of the mothership, how it was piloted. Yeah. You understand me? How the people lived. Wow. Um, and he said, I believe it was made in uh, Japan. You understand me? During that time. You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. 
We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Schreier. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported